Now, it's not that I'm going to stand behind it, but I just, you know, for 35 years you preach behind a pulpit. It's kind of hard to make that transition to a table. (laughs) All right. I was thinking I'm probably going to trip up and fall on all this stuff that's up here too, so... All right, it is a joy to be here. What a great crowd for Memorial Day weekend. I guess uh, gas prices has everybody staying at home instead of traveling. So we uh, just come to church and enjoy it. Well, we're still in the book of Ephesians. Several months ago, Rodney knew he was going to be out of town, and so he asked me if if I would share with uh, you today. And so as a result of that, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. I've been trying to since I knew it was a couple of months away, Rodney only covers like one verse or two verses. I mean, it's going to take you 14 years to get through the book of Ephesians. But, you know, he's slowly but surely. But I thought, well, surely he'll be in Ephesians chapter 5 by now. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians 5 if you have your Bibles. Just, uh, we don't have an outline. We're not going to have any scriptures up here. How many Bibles do we have here in the room? Does people bring Bibles still? Okay, good. We need that. You need to be able to check up on what people are saying and be able to have the scripture there before you. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and then we're going to go back one book to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And we're going to look at those sets of scriptures here today, and we're going to be talking about what in the world does it mean to live the Spirit-filled life? What in the world does it mean to be a Spirit-filled Christian? And we're just going to talk about that subject for just a few moments here this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, now you realize once you get down to verse 22, that's the tough verses, and I'm not going to even go there. Rodney's going to have to cover that. You know, that's where it says, uh, wives, submit yourself to your husbands, you know, those verses there. And then husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Rodney's going to deal with all of that, okay? So that's, that's down, that's still probably a year away, isn't it? <laughs> something, something like that. But we're, we're getting closer to that. But I wanted to start in verse 15. And I'm just going to pick out some verses here, verse 15 through 18, and look at this subject. He just simply says in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, See then that you walk very carefully, not as fools, but as wise. So what's God simply saying to us? I don't want you to be foolish. Now, nobody in here wants to be an idiot. You don't want to be a fool And so God says, I want you to walk as wise people. Now, you know everything about Ephesians that you need to know at this point because the first three chapters deals with the theology of Christianity. And then the last three chapters talks about how to flesh out that theology, how to get it out in the human realm in the flesh. Just last week, Rodney uh, went over these couple of verses. Wherefore, put away lying, speaking, every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be ye not angry, uh, neither give place to the devil. He talked about some of those. That's how to flesh out this Christianity that's in our life, how to walk it out on a day-by-day basis at work, at school, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, how to flesh it out. And Paul is still dealing with that in chapter 5, and eventually he's going to get to this place of talking about wives and husbands. How do you flesh out Christianity? 
And that's what this is all about, a very practical book that will give us some true insights into what Christianity is all about. So verse 15, walk carefully. Verse 16, learn to redeem the time. That means make the most of every opportunity because the days that we're living in is evil. So because of these days we're living in, make the most of every opportunity God gives you. Therefore, or wherefore, be not unwise. Here it is again. Don't be an idiot. Don't be foolish. Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how many of you have ever asked, God, what's your will concerning this subject? Anybody? We've all done that, haven't we? I mean, God, what's your will about me dating that beautiful young lady there or that handsome young football player or what job do you want me to have or who do you want me to marry and all these different ideas about, you know, God, what is your will? Well, here's one verse where Paul is going to say, if you want to know what one of the wills are for your life, if you want to know the ultimate will for your life, here it is. I'm about to read you the next verse is what we're going to talk about today. And what it says is, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, which is in excess, but rather be filled with the Spirit of God. Now that is the will of God for every single person sitting in this room if you're a child of God. That is God's will for you. To be filled with the Spirit. Paul draws an analogy here of an idea of a drunkard versus somebody that is filled with the Spirit. Now, I know nobody in this room has ever been a drunkard. Well, there might be. <laughs> Maybe. But you're not now, that's for sure, right? But we all know drunks. We've all seen drunks. You've seen them on TV. What are they? That can be this individual, laid-back, calm character. But as soon as he gets drunk, he's ready to fight anybody His loud voice begins to come, even though he might be a soft-spoken guy. He's bold. He's the funniest guy. He's a character. Everything about him changes. Why does it change? What makes that person change? It's because he's now being controlled by what? You can talk. What is it? It's alcohol. He's being controlled by alcohol. And Paul is saying, just like a drunk is controlled by alcohol, I want you to be controlled by the Spirit. Because the only way you'll ever flesh out this Christianity is to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. In 1983, John Scully was the CEO of Pepsi, Pepsi Corporation. How many of you are Pepsi fans? I'm a Coke fan. Stan Pepsi, but but John Scully was the CEO in 1983, and he had an opportunity to become a president, to step down as the CEO of of Pepsi and become the president of a brand new startup company that had only been in existence for six years. This CEO of Pepsi was making over a million dollars a year in salary, and the co-founder of this little company that had started in 1976 said, I want you to step down as the CEO of Pepsi and come be the president of my company. We're only six years old. We don't have much, but we want you to do that. And here's what he said. This gentleman by the name of Steve said to John Scully, 1983, 
I want to ask you a question. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water, or do you want to come and work for me and be a president of our company and have a chance to change the world? And John Scully said, whenever he made it that way, made that opinion, that opportunity, he said, I left my CEO position to become the president of Apple Computer. Do you think, do you think for a second, do you think for a second that he made a good choice and do you think he has changed the world? He did. By changing from selling sugar water to having a chance to change the world. Let me ask you a question. What is it going to take in your life to change the world? What would it take in your life to change the world? Now, most of us will never be the CEO of Pepsi and get an opportunity to become the president of Apple Computer. Most of us won't. But do you know in every single one of your lives, you have an opportunity to change the world that you're living in, the world of your school, the world of your neighborhood, the world of your job, the world of right here, Middle Othian, where most of you live. We have an opportunity to change this town, this community, but it will not happen on our own. If we're interested in only selling sugar water for the rest of our life, then that's what we'll do. You might make a good living. You might die wealthy, but you've never changed the world. Now, I know that's way beyond what most of us ever dream and ever think, but yet in God, he wants you to think that way. The men and the women who are used by God to change the surroundings of their area, their job, their work, their city, whatever it is. The men that God uses, the women that God uses, the students that God uses, the boys and the girls are people who have gotten to the place where they have died to self and are alive in Christ. Because as long as we continue doing what we've always done, and that is live in our own flesh and our own desires and our own purpose and our own drive, as long as we continue to do that, we cannot be used by God. Because every single person here is either being controlled by the Spirit of God or being controlled by self. There's nothing in between. At every moment of every day, you are being controlled by your own flesh and your own desires and your own self, or you're being controlled by the Spirit. You're just like the old drunk. If you're being controlled by yourself, you're going to be responding just like the drunk does. You're going to be controlled to not alcohol, but to yourself and whatever your desires are. And so the people that God chooses to use are those who learn to know what it means to be walking in the Spirit. Today is Memorial Day, or this weekend, tomorrow's officially Memorial Day. It all started in April of 1863, when two little ladies in Columbia, Mississippi, were decorating the, gro- the, the graves of their children who were killed, their sons who were killed in war. And when they finished decorating those, one of the ladies left and went over here to the far corner of the cemetery. And the other ladies followed her as she began to put plants or flowers on these two graves over here. 
And they asked her, what in the world are you doing? Those are Union soldiers that we had to bury here. And the lady simply said, you know, somewhere in the United States, there are some mothers that are grieving just like we are for the loss of our children. And thus started Memorial Day. The Veterans Administration tells us that roughly there's been 654,000 men and women that have been killed in the line of duty since 1776. Let me ask you, why do those people do that? If you grew up when I grew up, you were drafted and had to go to Vietnam. There was a lot of people killed in Vietnam that didn't want to be there. But most all the other wars, people volunteer to go to war. They deny themselves and say, I want to serve this country. And so every Memorial Day weekend, we remember those who have given themselves as a sacrifice for this great country we live in. And tomorrow, whatever you do, we need to remember sometime during the day those who have given themselves for us. Why did those people do that? Because they died to their selfish desires and went to serve a country that they cared for. So the question right here today is this, what in the world does it mean to be a spirit-filled Christian? How do we change the world? How do we quit selling sugar water and have an opportunity to change the world that God has placed us in? Wherever it is, right now today, in your position. And here's where I'd like us to leave this verse and just go back four or five pages in your Bible to Galatians 2.20. You have probably memorized Galatians 2.20. I won't ask you to quote it, but many of you have probably know this verse. And Paul is speaking. The book of Galatians is also a whole lot about grace and salvation. And it is also a lot about how to flesh out this spirit-filled life. And so Paul was writing, and he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul just simply says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm still alive. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. Can we look at three words here today and we'll be finished? Three points, okay? Here's point number one. What does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He's just simply saying, first of all, If you're ever going to be a spirit-filled child of God, a spirit-filled Christian, you're going to have to, first of all, know that you're in Christ. You're a Christian. Do you know 114 times in the New Testament, the Bible says we are in Christ. Did we read that this morning? There is therefore no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. The very first thing we read right off the bat this morning. A lot of times, we, if we're not real careful, preachers will stand up and church people will say, come to my great church. It's a great Baptist church. Come to our church and you'll enjoy it. And people come to church and join the church and they get into the church, but they never get into Christ. Have you ever been to a revival where a, 30, you know, a, a deacon who's been a, a deacon for 35 years comes forward and says, you know, I've never been saved. Have you ever experienced that? How in the world can people be a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or be in church for 35 years and yet not even be a Christian? 
It's because if we're not careful, we let people think you're in the, ch- in the church. That happened to me. I was 14 years old. I grew up in a Baptist church. We were there all the time. And by the time I started becoming a teenager, I kind of quit going to church. But one day I was listening to uh, our pastor preach. And, and at the invitation, a few, a few of my friends for the past couple of weeks had gone down the front and got saved. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I needed to do that. And so as a 14-year-old kid in 1967... Now you don't have to count the dots. Now it'll give you something to work on and say, now how old is this guy? I don't have to listen to the sermon anymore. I can figure out how old he was. I was 14 years old. In 1967, I walked down the aisle, shook the preacher's hand, and he sat me down right there where that young lady's sitting. And and I said, you know, I, I think I need to get saved. And he said, oh, son, we're so excited for you. Come sit down right here. And the invitation was over with. I filled out a card. He stood me up, and he said, John Harlan has come, and he's gotten saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you excited about that? Well, I went home that day, and good. all I did was sign a card. And I became a member of Harshu Drive Baptist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. And for the next year, I, I thought I was saved. I, I thought I had become this thing they kept, said I was Christian. But all I did was join the church. On June the 26th, 1968, I was 15 years of age. I went to a Coliseum crusade where Dr. John Bazzanio, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Houston, preached. And for the first time in my life as a 15-year-old, I heard him talk about what it meant to invite Jesus into my life to be in Christ. I'd never heard that. I walked down that aisle. We all stood down in the front. They brought us out the door and into another room. And a white-headed old man, I had no idea who he was, sat down one-on-one with me, opened up the Word of God, and, and read to me the Roman road and showed me how to pray and receive Jesus into my heart. Let me tell you, that day, I was baptized into Jesus Christ. I became a part of the family of God. I became a child of God. I became a Christian. I didn't become just a church member. And I was saved on that day. And if I die, I'll go to heaven right this second. And you say, well, sir, it's because you're a preacher. Or it's because you're a Baptist. No, it's because I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. 114 times the Bible says if you're ever going to go to heaven, you have to be in Christ. Here's a good way to illustrate that. Any of you moms out there have a a son in college right now? I know they're getting ready. Some of you have a son in college. Well, one of these days your son calls you and says, Mom, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, are you standing up or sitting down? Uh, that's not a good question, but I'm standing up right now. Well, Mom, I'm coming home this weekend. I'm bringing her with me. I hope you like her. She's your new daughter-in-law. Well, finally, they pick you up off the floor, dust you off a little bit. You get the phone in your hand again, and you say, Well, son, I've always known you were a knucklehead. I know you've done a lot of crazy things in your life, and this is probably the best, but you know what? Bring her home. What would be the next word? We love her anyway. 
Now, why in the world would you as a mom say to your son, we love her, but you've never met her. She's now your daughter-in-law. Why would you say bring her home because you love her? It's because she is now accepted into the blood. Right. Because she's been to a wedding. She married your son, and therefore she's accepted into the, into the beloved. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says? Remember, when was that? Three years ago, I think we, we covered Ephesians 1, 6. I, I think it was about then. Remember, remember, it says, to the praise of God, who now we have been accepted into the beloved. We've been to a wedding. We've gotten married. We're in the beloved. That's why when my wife's parents were alive, I could go to their home anytime I wanted to. I could go to their home without her, and I could walk in because I was accepted into the blood. And my friend, the moment that you pray and receive Jesus as your Savior and have your sins forgiven, you are now justified and you're accepted into the blood. You've been baptized into the family of God. You become a child of God. You become a Christian. You are now in Christ. And that's what happened to me on June the 26th, 1968. Only reason I know that is I wrote it down in my Bible then. But if that's all you've ever done, and do you know how many people come to church and that's all they've ever done is just invited Jesus in their life and that's it. If that's all you've ever done, you really don't have the right to call yourself a Christian. Now, you can say, I'm justified, I'm on my way to heaven, but a Christian is much more than just somebody that's in Christ. That, you've had a transition, you're in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, that's the transition, nevertheless, I'm still physically alive, yet not I, but Christ lives now in me. And here's the second point. Not only do you have to have a transition where Christ is living in you, or you're living in Christ, you have to now have a transfusion where Christ is living within you. Not only do you need to be in Christ, but now you need to have Christ living within you. That's what Paul said. Nevertheless, but Christ lives in me. Why in the world do you need Christ to live inside your life? The answer to that is very simply, because I cannot live the Christian life, and you cannot live the Christian life, and nobody in this room can live the Christian life. All of this stuff that Paul's talking about in Ephesians that we're supposed to live out, put on this, take off this, all of that. How do you think you can do that? How in the world do you really think you can love somebody that doesn't love you? How can you do that? That's a miracle. It's impossible. And the reason I know I need Christ living in my life is because after I got saved when I was 15 years of age, I tried it for five years trying to live the Christian life. You know how hard it is to live the Christian life as a teenager? It's, all, it's impossible. Do you know how hard it is to live the Christian life as an adult? Why do you think people burn out and quit going to church? Why do you think the, it's just a massive amount of people... 85% of the people in any congregation never does anything for God but show up and come to church. Why is that? Because it's frustrating. Because you're trying to do it yourself. When I grew up, the generation that I listened to, the preachers in the 60s, just simply said, 
ask Jesus into your heart, become a Christian, and then do your best and let God do the rest. God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that beautiful little sayings? I wish we could incorporate some of that today, Brother Rodney. Just do your best and God will do the rest. God helps those who help themselves. The only crazy thing about that is, that's a bunch of bull. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. God says, you need to be in, I need to be in you to live this Christian life. You need to have a transfusion. There's not a person that can ever produce the miracle of living the Christian life. When I got saved, that was a miracle, wasn't it? Did anybody here produce your own salvation? Anybody here? Nobody did. Guess what? A while ago we were singing about one glad day, we're going to go up to heaven. What was that? I went blank on that song all of a sudden. Anyway, Jesus is coming again. We're going to be raptured up to heaven, and that's a miracle. Are you going to do that yourself? Are you going to just jump and rapture yourself up to heaven? You're not going to do that. That's a miracle. So why do we think salvation is a miracle, the rapture is a miracle, and everything in between? I just try my best, and God will help me if I help myself. Why do we think this is, the, this is just ordinary living in here? It's a miracle life, too. It's the only way you'll experience. Remember back in the book of Joshua when Joshua sent out a couple of spies to go to the city of Jericho before they began to walk around it? And the spies ended up being found out, and so a lady, Rahab, found them and hid them into her house. And here's what she said. When we saw what God has done for you as a nation our hearts melted within us. You want to change where you work, change your home, change your life, change the lives of those around you? People are not impressed with what you do for God. They are impressed with what God does through you and in you. That's what impresses people. That's when people step back and say, man, you know, there's something different about you. You try to live this Christian life, it is a frustrating, dead-end job. You won't produce anything in your life, you trying to do it. Hannah Withall Smith wrote a little book years ago about how to live this spirit-filled Christian life. She used the illustration one day that she went into a little special ed school for handicapped children, special ed children. And they were in the gym doing exercises. And all these children were just all over the place. They were doing jumping jacks and everything. And nobody was doing what the instructor was doing except one little girl. The one little girl had just enough sense in her mind to know she couldn't do it. And so she had placed her hands in the hands of that instructor. And when the instructor raised their hand, she raised hers. And when they lowered it, they lowered it. She was the only one doing it right because she was in the hands of the instructor. In the book of Matthew, you don't need to turn here, but let me read it because you're familiar with this verse. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew. This sounds like most Baptists, most Christians. He says, Come unto me, all ye that are laborers and heavy burdened and laden down, with this thing called Christianity, and I'll give you rest. 
I mean, this world that we live in, this life that we live in is tough. And it beats you down. And Jesus said, I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Something that everybody needs. For my yoke, and here's a kicker. Listen to what it says. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is it then most Christians you talk to, they're all beat up and depressed and they're down and out and we try to, you know, why would anybody want what we got? Why would anybody want to become a Christian when you, most Christians you talk to are just all beat up? And yet Jesus says, hey, if you come and take my yoke, it's easy and it's light. Whoever told you Christianity is going to be easy and light and following Jesus is easy and light. Now, I, I know. I know that's tough. But the key is, Jesus says, take my yoke. My yoke is easy and light. You know what it is? I'm a city slicker. Don't know much about this, but they take two yoke, two yoke and two oxen and yoke them together with this wooden beam across them. And from my understanding, one of them is a lead oxen. And the guy will tap him with a whip or whistle at him or whatever, and the lead oxen knows exactly what to do when he's pulling that plow or pulling a wagon or whatever it is. The other oxen is yoked up to the lead oxen, and he has to do what the other oxen is doing. When the other one turns to the right, this other one has to, because he's yoked up. And Jesus says, if you want to know what the key to Christianity is all about, do you want to know the key to living the Christian life? It is being allowing the Holy Spirit to yoke up with you. And His yoke is easy and is light. And His yoke will just simply put you underneath His arm and lead you and guide you on a daily basis. And that is what allows you to change this world. My friend, it's just learning on a daily basis every morning when you get up to yoke yourself up to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who wants to do it. And that's why Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm alive, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And now the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So now when I walk, when I live on a daily basis, it's because I live because I am in Christ, He is in me, and here's the third point, and we're finished. The third point is this, that we need to also have a transmission. Not only a transition where I am in Christ, not only a transfusion where Christ is in me, but I need a transmission where that is Christ through me. And if you want to be a child of God that is walking with the Spirit, where did we start? Ephesians says, Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is it? To be filled with the Spirit. Here's all three points. It's the whole picture. If you want to be a Spirit-filled Christian, it is somebody that is in Christ, who Christ is in, and Christ is through. And when you let Christ live His life through you, that's when you have an opportunity to quit selling sugar water and make a change in the world that God has put you in. Now, what is Christ through you? 
most of us don't like to talk about this point. And there's only a few Christians that ever get to this place. But what is Christ through you? Most people would walk around and say this. I want to be like Jesus. Back when I grew up in the 60s, it was one way Jesus is the only way. One way finger. We had those stuck all on our car windows and all that. You know, we wanted to be like Jesus. We'd sit, sit around the little lake with a campfire and sing, pass it on. It only takes a start. Man, dating myself for sure. <laughs> and, and, and we want to be like Jesus. What is Jesus like? You have to know what Jesus is like if you're going to want to be like him. Let me ask you a question. Isn't there a verse, Brother Rodney, that says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Didn't Jesus say that? Okay, just want to make sure. He said that. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever Jesus did 2,000 years ago, he's still doing today, and he'll do it forever. Amen? Is that right? Right. Okay. So if I want to be like Jesus, I need to know what he did. Well, here's what Jesus did. He got these disciples together. There's 12 of them. He had a group of others that were following him. And every single morning they'd get up and they'd go to church and they'd have Bible study, studies and they'd have prayer breakfasts in the morning and uh, prayer breakfasts in the afternoon and they'd study the Bible together. And Lord Almighty, they'd never want any kind of sinner to come into their group. Sinners were horrible people. Jesus didn't want to be around sinners. Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with the low-life people out there, the down and out, the homeless. He didn't want to have anything to do with any of those people. He just wanted to have their little prayer groups together. Is that right? Is that right? That's not the Jesus we read about in the Bible, is it? I want to be like Jesus. If you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to be what he did. Because remember, when he is in you, he's just going to do what he's always done. And he's going to go through you doing what always did. Remember when he walked up to some of the disciples before they were disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, they didn't have any choice about it. The choice was if they were going to follow Jesus, they were going to become fishers of men. Because that's what he always did. See, they'd be walking through a town and everybody was patting him and excited about him being there. But Jesus just overlooked the crowd and saw one man up in a tree. And he stopped and he said, come on down here. We got some things we need to deal with at your house. Let's go to the house. And he didn't worry about the crowd. It was that individual that needed a touch from him. And one day they were walking through a town that most Jews wouldn't walk around. And he stopped at a well where there was some water there for them to drink. And the disciples said, Jesus, we're kind of hungry. Uh, uh, we're going to run into McDonald's and get a Big Mac. You want one? And Jesus said, no, I've got food already. And they kind of scratched their head and said, oh, where did he get his Big Mac? And why didn't he share it with us? So they left. We'd get something to eat. Jesus was standing there. And a woman came to get some water out of the well. Remember that conversation? And she got so excited, she ran back in town and said, come see and meet a man who told me everything there is to know about my life. And she brought the whole town out to meet Jesus. 
The disciples were walking through a town again. They went through the city gate, and they walked around this guy that was sitting right there because he was an old tax collector, and nobody liked tax collectors, except Jesus stopped and said, hey, why don't you leave that business and come follow me? And that's what that guy did. Wherever Jesus went, it was caring for people. That's what it was all about, caring for people. And when we say, I want to be like Jesus, it's just simply us allowing Jesus who we're yoked up with, to do what he wants to with us on a daily basis. How do you change the world around you? Being yoked up with Jesus. I guess the best illustration in the world, and we'll quit, is a guy by the name of Jonah. Remember old Jonah? God said, Jonah, I want you to go preach to that wicked town over there. And Jonah said, yes, sir, no thanks. And he went the other way. He must have been a Baptist for sure. All right? But you know, backsliders, nobody wants them. Nobody wants to be around them. Even fish didn't want to have anything to do with him. Fish got sick to his stomach and threw him up on the beach. And he walked into town and preached one little sermon, and the whole town repented and came to God. Now let me ask you, where was the problem? With the saint or with the sinner? The problem was with the saint. And when he let God do through him what God wanted to do, everything worked out fantastic. It was what it was supposed to be. And so, let me just ask you, some of you have been coming to Stonegate maybe for this past year, and for a solid year, maybe you've heard it. You've heard the message. You've heard how important it is to become a child of God, to be saved, to be in Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Some of you have been going to church for 40 years, maybe 30 years or 20 years or however long, but all you've ever done has been a church member. Man, here it is, Memorial Day weekend when we remember those who sacrificed their life for this country. Why don't you go back further than that 2,000 years ago when Jesus sacrificed himself for you and give yourself to Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to stand up and sing a song, what we call an invitation song. And I know most people don't like to come forward and make a decision for Christ. I mean, that's what we did for years and years and years, you know. But I tell you, if God's just touched you and said, man, you're right, right on. All I am is a church member. Then right now today, you can have Jesus in your life. You don't have to come down and fill out a card or any of that. But let somebody talk with you and just share with you how to ask Jesus into your heart. That doesn't make you a church member. It makes you a child of God. But probably for the majority of people sitting in this room, you're already a Christian. Have you ever yoked up with Jesus? The key will be if you do that today, you've got to do it tomorrow, and you've got to do it the next day. It's an everyday affair where you need to be yoked up with him and allow the Spirit of God to be in you so that he can then be through you and guide you the way he wants that's it. Pretty simple this morning, but it's the key to Christianity, key to life. It's, it's what, what in the world is a spirit-filled life. That's what Paul said, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here it is, to be filled with the Spirit. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, if we could. The guys are coming up, and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation, and we're going to stand in just a moment. But if the Father is speaking to you at all about anything, 
today's the day to make the decision. Don't walk out of this room because you're going to forget about this an hour from now. After you've eaten, the, the devil will rob these truths from you. That is why it's so important to, to deal with, with the issue right now while God's speaking to you. And whatever it might be that God's speaking to you about, would you respond to him? Would you just simply respond to him? And I want to invite you, if you would, would you mind standing very quietly with me and let's pray together. And then they'll lead us in a song of invitation. Let's stand a bit together quietly. Father, as we stand here this morning, we just ask, Father, that in a very special way that you would just continue to anoint this place. Father, I thank you that on a daily basis, a weekly basis, as we gather here, God, that we just see you continue to work in people's lives. It's been amazing to see those who've invited you into their life over this past year. But Father, I know sitting in this size room, there's people right here that need to be saved this morning. They need to, they need to quit being in the church and they need to be in you. And I pray that you'd give them the courage to step forward today. But God, like most of us, God, help us to understand what it means to be yoked up with you. I know being yoked up with you doesn't take away all the pains and the sufferings and the hurts and divorces and, and death and all of that. It doesn't take away everything. But God, when we're yoked with you, then the burdens become light because they're your burdens. You're yoked up with us. Help us to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. God bless us during this invitation. We're here for you. You need to talk. If somebody's here with you, we'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll meet you if you want to do that this morning. Just a verse or two and we'll be finished. We're here for you.